Father, thanks for your word. Thank you that you've given it to us and for the power that it has to change us. And I pray now that as we open your word, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit too and help us to learn what you want us to learn. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm guessing that most people in this congregation, most people in this world, like to think of themselves as good people, right? Anybody like to think of themselves as a bad person here? No, okay. Nope, nobody? Okay. Uh, I once heard it said that 90% of Americans consider themselves above average drivers. Now, that means at least 40% of people are wrong, because you can't have more than 50% of people be above average. It's just not possible. So, so what about, uh, when we get back to the question of, are we good people? It, it, is there any way for us to tell how, how good of a person we are? Well, certainly if there were, if we're not the judge. But is there any way that we can tell what our character is like, what our faith is like? Well, the Bible actually gives us a test. And sometimes it's a testing of our faith through trials and through difficulties. When difficult times come, we often find out what we're truly like. 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7 says, though, for a now, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The idea is that sometimes God allows tests of faith into our lives so that we can know what our true faith is, our true character is. Now, don't misunderstand. God already knows what our faith is like. And one of my friends once said, it's not that God tests our faith so that he can figure out what our faith is like. It's so that we can realize what our faith is like. So in God's eyes, tests of faith can be very valuable. In fact, the book of Hebrews tells us that these kinds of hardships are for our good. The book of James tells us that trials can produce perseverance and maturity in us if we meet them by faith. <coughs> so what kind of person are you? Or, or let me ask it this way. How do you respond when things don't go your way? Today we're starting a nine-week sermon series in the book of First Samuel. And a couple things that I want to say about it just before we get into it. First, be reading this book on your own. We're actually only going to go through chapter 17. We're going to stop right at David and Goliath. But we're going to look at the first 17 chapters. We're going to skip a few of the, of the chapters in there. But we're going to look at the main characters of First Samuel 1 through 17. And I encourage you to be reading and rereading these, that book, those chapters, over the next two months. And then just a note on context in here as well. We, we're jumping into a new book of the Bible, so we've got to do a little bit of context here. Israel was living, just finished living in the time of the judges. So if you're following the history of Israel, they were in slavery in Egypt, and God raised up Moses and, and delivered them miraculously. They went from Egypt into, the, promise, or into the, the desert where they wandered for about 40 years before they could go into the promised land. Then finally they went into the promised land, and now at this point in time they had lived there for hundreds of years, and it was the period of the judges where God raised up judges to lead them militarily. Now, the time of the judges is kind of a roller coaster and probably more downs than there were up to it. The conclusion in the book of Judges, the very last verse in there says, in those days Israel had no king. That's just kind of a statement of fact. But then here's the last part. Everyone did as he saw fit. Not a compliment. 
it's, you know, they didn't have a king, which most nations around them had a king, but Israel was supposed to acknowledge God as their king. That's why they had no king. But what happened in Israel is somewhere along the line in there, they thought, well, hey, you know, we don't have a king. I can just kind of live the way that I want to. Which I actually think is the battle that every single one of us goes through. The battle over who's the king in our lives. Is it God or is it ourselves? Not too far into 1 Samuel, we see the picture of something having gone wrong in Israel. They started demanding their own ways. And one of the things that they demanded was a king, just like all the other nations had around them. And, and we'll get to that in the, in the coming weeks in our look into 1 Samuel. And, and surprisingly, actually, God granted their request and he gave them a king. But even then, they were supposed to acknowledge that God was their only king. Okay, so that's a little bit of the context. And, and you could say, on one level, the book of 1 Samuel is a historical book, and we're supposed to learn historical facts. But it's not just a textbook here, because it's also theological truth. It's also truth about our relationship with God. And there's some wonderful stories in here that we, that we can learn from looking at the faith, or the lack of faith, of people in here. And that's where we get back to this idea of tests of faith. Because so many of the people that we see in 1 Samuel were going through a test of their faith. And that's what we'll see Hannah going through today. A trial, a difficulty. So we're going to kind of focus on Hannah and her faith today. Now Hannah, which is where we also get the name Anna. So for those of you named Anna in here, this is about, this is you, this is your namesake. And it, the name Hannah means grace or favor. And it's a very appropriate name for, for Hannah in the Bible here. And make no mistake about it, Hannah is a hero of the faith. In fact, one theologian, Robert Bergen, says that Hannah is the most pious woman in the Old Testament. That is a compliment. That we'll, we'll see Hannah go through a difficult time, but the way that we see her respond is so wonderful that she stands out as a woman of faith and, and we can learn from her faith. But her story starts with difficulty. So let's read that. We're, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2, and we're going to break it into three chunks. So the first chunk here is chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. There was a certain man from Ramathaim, a Ziphite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Ziph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. And no, it's not Penini, so don't be thinking about sandwiches here. Okay, we're, we're talking about the Bible. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? My first point today, and this is just a very simple observation, is that difficult times are a part of life. Difficult times are a part of life. One of the first things we learn about Hannah in this book is that she was barren. She couldn't have kids. Her husband, Elkanah, apparently decided to take matters into his own hands and he got another wife and had children through her. 
Now, just a quick side note here. Don't take this as an endorsement of polygamy. The Bible often tells the stories of people in the Old Testament who had multiple wives, but it never endorses the practice. And I read one theologian who said, every time we see polygamy in the Old Testament, we see problems coming with it. The clear teaching of the Bible overall, especially as we look at the New Testament, is that God created marriage for one man and one woman. So that's, that's the end of my side note there. But, but Hannah was barren, and Hannah's husband's other wife took that opportunity to provoke her, to taunt her, to ridicule her. Now, barrenness was a big deal, especially in ancient Israel, because women were supposed to provide children for their family for a couple of reasons. One for financial stability, for when the parents grew old, then the kids would take care of them. And also in Israel, the way that they handed down their lands, it went through the family line. So, so women were supposed to produce kids, and to not be able to have kids was really a problem for Hannah. And it's not just a problem back then. Barrenness is a problem in our day and age as well. I mean, how many women and families go through this same difficulty still today? And I'm sure that Hannah wanted her problem fixed immediately. I'm sure that that she just thought, well, God, you can do it, so just do it right now. And if not, I'm sure that she wanted to at least know why. And I think that that's probably a lot of the same emotions that people go through today as they face barrenness. You know, first of all, can't you just fix it, God? And then second of all, why? What's the deal? But the thing is, with our difficult times, we don't always get to know why. And we don't always get the answer that we want right away. But there is one key in our passage that should help us, whether we're talking about barrenness or any other difficulty. It says in verse 5 that it was the Lord who had closed Hannah's womb. It was the Lord. So it's not that Penina was more godly than Hannah. It's not that Hannah was being punished, although I'm guessing that Hannah might have thought those very thoughts. It says right here that it was the Lord who had done it. Hannah didn't know all the reasons why. She couldn't see the full picture yet. But one thing that she could know is that God is sovereign. God is in control. And that goes for us in any of our difficult times. It might feel like God has stopped being God or like he stopped being good to us, but we can know that God is sovereign. God is in control. So God had closed Hannah's womb. She didn't see the full picture yet, but the question then is, would she trust God? Would she trust God? And that's our question as well. As you think about a difficulty that you're going through right now, and and maybe it's not very hard to think about what that difficulty is, but the question that we need to ask ourselves in the midst of those difficulties is, will we trust God? I want to tell you a story of one of the difficulties that I faced in my life. I've I've mentioned this one here before, and and I'll say it again here, but uh, one of the great difficulties in my life was being single for longer than I wanted to be single, until fortunately someone took mercy on me and and married me when I was age 28. Thank you again. I'm indebted to you, Christine. Uh, I, I got married at 28, and maybe that doesn't sound too old to some of you, but there were some very long years in there where, where I wanted to be married. And, and I remember having these conversations with God, like, God, I know you can do this. Just do it. Uh, the, the deodorant I'm wearing? What's the deal? You know? But uh, many difficult times. And I hated it when people would... There are, there are a couple of things. I wrote down a couple of things that people would say. They'd say, oh, just stop thinking about it and God will provide a wife for you. I'm like, 
really, I, I'm supposed to pretend, you know, that I, I don't want a wife? Or, or somebody even said, when you stop wanting a wife, then God will give you one. Like, I just, you know, made me want to punch the people. In, the, in fact, I, one, one of my friends said this to me in front of a group of people, and I kind of laid into him for it. Somebody had to uh, arrange a reconciliation meeting for us afterwards. But I was just so frustrated at those, those ideas that people had. It, it felt like taunts to me. I wanted a wife, and I didn't have one. It felt like a godly desire that I had, and it was just very difficult. Now, towards the end, I, I did kind of learn a valuable lesson on contentment. I, I think that contentment is the answer a lot of times when we go through difficulty. And, and here's, here's how I learned the lesson. I, I was thinking about Paul's teaching about contentment in Philippians 4, that I've learned to be content in every situation. Um, and in there he says, you know, whether well-fed or hungry. And there's another place in the Bible where Paul talks about the many times that he went without food. So I, I'm, I was picturing Paul, let's say, you know, he for some reason had, not that he was fasting, but he, he had gone without food because he just couldn't find food for a long time. And I pictured him, you know, just kind of like stumbling on shore after being shipwrecked or something. And somebody saying to him, here you go, Paul, you look hungry, here's some food for you. And I tried to picture Paul saying, oh, that's okay, I don't want food. I thought, no, that, that's not the picture of contentment. The picture of contentment is saying, you know what, I would really like to have some food right now, but if God doesn't provide that, I'm going to be okay, because if I have God, I have enough. And, and that was the lesson that I learned. That yes, I wanted a wife. I didn't have to pretend like I didn't want a wife. And, and if that's what you feel like you have to do in your difficulty, if it's barrenness, you don't have to pretend that you don't want kids. If it's a financial difficulty, you don't have to pretend that you don't want to pay your bills. The lesson is for us to be content with whatever God allows and to know that he is enough. But what we have to do then is to trust that God is in control. And that's the key question for us. Do we trust that God's in control? I believe that God God could take your difficulty away with the snap of his fingers. But oftentimes he doesn't. Why? Must be because he sees some value in letting us go through the test of faith. And that's where we see Hannah here. She was barren. How would she view her difficulty? What would she do? Well, let's read what she did. In 1 Samuel, we're going to read now the rest of chapter 1, verses 9 to 28. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. 
Elkanah lay with Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When the man Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, After the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, Elkanah, her husband told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When they had slaughtered the bull, they brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, As surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. My second point today is that we need to walk by faith in difficult times. We need to walk by faith in difficult times. We all go through difficult times, but we tend to go one of two directions in them. Either we try to figure things out ourselves, or we look to somebody else to help us. Now, ideally, we should look to somebody else to help us. We should look to God in those difficult times. I suppose the third way would be that we could just give up. But ideally, we would look to God and ask for His help in difficult times. But too often, that's not the pattern that we take. Think about the difficult times you've gone through lately. Has it strengthened your faith, or has it caused you to kind of wander away a little bit? How should we handle difficult times? Well, Hannah sets a great example. And the first thing that I want to point out is maybe a little bit surprising, but the, the, first thing, the first way that Hannah handled her difficult time was she grieved. Again, we don't need to pretend that we don't want what we want. As long as your desire is a godly desire, it's okay to desire it. And for Hannah, not being able to bear children caused her pain. So what she did with that is she went before the Lord and grieved. Look at all the painful words here from Hannah. In verse 10, she talked about her bitterness of soul, and it says she wept much. In verse 11, she talked about misery. In verse 15, she said she was deeply troubled. And in verse 16, it said she had great anguish and grief. Soon I'll show you Hannah's wonderful faith, but for now I just want to show you that grief and faith can coexist. Again, we don't need to pretend when we come to God. We can tell Him what we're really feeling. And, and that's actually the, the best thing that we can do is to just go straight to Him and talk to Him about what's going on. So here's where we see Hannah's faith. In her misery, she trusted God. Hannah's solution to barrenness was prayer. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong, for example, if you're barren. It's not wrong to go to a doctor. It's not wrong to try a new therapy. But our first step in any difficulty that we face should be prayer. By faith, in verse 10, Hannah prayed to God in the midst of her grief. And in that prayer, twice she called herself your servant. So she's saying to God, I'm going through grief here, but God, I still want to be your servant. And then she was asking God to remember her. And it's interesting to note what she prayed for. Yes, she prayed for a son, but by faith she told the Lord that if he answered her prayer, that she would give that son back to the Lord. She made a vow. And it looks like her vow was pleasing to God. Now, we don't talk much about vows anymore. Uh, They only appear in the New Testament twice. 
but it looks like the pattern from the Old Testament and the, the small pattern that we see in the New Testament is that a vow can actually be pleasing to the Lord. That there, if there's something that you want to commit to the Lord, that I think that making a vow can be a good way to do that. Now, we shouldn't make them rashly, and we should make good on our vows, but I think they can be an act of worship. I, I think I mentioned this story a few weeks ago, but I, I look up to Bill Bright. Well, I, he's dead now, but uh, I still look up to him. He was the founder and president of Campus Crusade for Christ, and he was a businessman before he went into ministry. So he thought a lot about contracts, and he would make contracts with the Lord where he would actually you know, write out, God, here's what I'll do for you, and he would sign his name at the bottom. And, and I think, looking at the way that God used Bill Bright over his years of service, I think that God honored that. So there's something to this, I think. If there's, if there's something that you want to say to God, go to God and, and make a commitment to Him. You know, whether it's uh, being more regular with your church attendance or being more regular in, in reading the Word. It, it might be a good idea to make a vow. Okay. So Hannah made this vow. We see her praying. And it's kind of comical that Eli saw her praying and her lips were moving but she wasn't making a noise. And she th- Eli thought that she was drunk. Maybe some of you, uh, when you're reading, you move your lips and people make fun of you. Does that happen for anybody? Well, that's kind of what was going on here with Hannah. Uh, but it's kind of telling that Eli didn't know what was going on. Here's this woman in faith pouring her heart out to the Lord and Eli thought she was drunk. We're going to talk more about Eli next week, but he didn't always know... Uh, exactly what was going on. But then after Eli figured out what was going on, he prayed that God would grant Hannah's request. And then we get another wonderful picture of Hannah's faith. Even before she knew she had an answer, she left in peace. And I love this part about prayer. Prayer is not just a hope that we'll get what we want. Actually, I think one of the, the most strengthening parts about prayer is just knowing that God is in control in the midst of it. So here we see Hannah in grief and in anguish of her soul praying before the Lord. And after she prayed, she had peace. She didn't know yet that God would give her what she asked for, but that wasn't even the most important thing. The most important thing was that she went before the Lord and had peace with Him. And and anyways, the power in our prayer doesn't come from us. It doesn't come even just from getting what we want. The power in prayer comes from bearing our soul before God and knowing that He knows what we need. So we need to walk by faith in difficult times and and our faith should express itself in prayer. And and we call it faith because we don't always know how it's going to end. And I was thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those three guys in the book of Daniel? King Nebuchadnezzar made this statue of gold and he said when the music plays everybody has to bow down and worship this statue. Well Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't want to do that. They wanted to worship only God. So they, they didn't worship the statue and when the king heard about it he brought them in and he said what are you guys doing? I'm going to throw you in the blazing furnace if you don't do this. And I love their response. I wrote it down here from the book of Daniel. It says if we are thrown into the blazing fire the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand O king. But even if he does not We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Their faith said, I'm I'm just going to follow God here. I'm going to trust in him whatever the circumstances might be. 
And I think that's what we see Hannah doing here as well. Her response to her difficult time was to say, I'm not in control anyways, God, so I just take it to you, and whatever you give me, that's going to be okay with me. Now the result, in this instance, it looks like God was pleased with her prayer of faith and granted her request. And Hannah did indeed give birth to a baby boy and named him Samuel, because as it says in verse 20, she asked the Lord for him. Now, we don't know exactly what the name Samuel means, but it sounds like the Hebrew for God hears. And we get a wonderful picture of God from this. Hannah pours out her soul to God. God hears her request and gives her what she asks for. And she names the baby, basically, God hears. I think the takeaway for us is that we can know whatever difficulty we're going through, God knows about it, God cares about it, and wants to be with us in the midst of it. One of the great takeaways from chapter 1 is that God hears. So, so far we see a really wonderful story now. Hannah had a difficult time, then she had a baby boy. But then you could say the real difficult time comes because then she had to fulfill her vow and give up her son. And we see, after this time of weaning him, she did exactly that. She made good on her vow. Now, it's an interesting side note here. Elkanah, her husband, could have nullified her vow. He had the biblical authority as her husband, according to Numbers 30, to nullify a vow that his wife made. But he didn't do that, I think, because he was acting in faith, too. He saw the faith of his wife, and Elkanah, in faith, said, yep, let's let's do that. And that's why we see him confirming her vow here in this passage. Hannah fulfilled her vow. She gave Samuel to the Lord to live in the presence of the Lord always. In a sense, she was offering Samuel as a living sacrifice, and her offering was pleasing to the Lord. So Hannah faced difficulty, but she walked by faith all the way through it. And and the question that I think that we should be asking then as we're analyzing her faith, where did that faith come from? How did she respond like that when we... We could think of so many different ways for her to handle that situation. Where did Hannah's faith come from? And my answer, I think it came from a lifetime of faith. I want to move on to my third point now. My third point is that we should praise God in all times. Now, I I tried to trick you a little bit there. Somebody once told me that they try to fill in the blanks in my sermons before I actually say them, and and they said that they were pretty good at doing it. Well, I'm going to trick you a little bit. I I bet you expected to say we should praise God in difficult times. And that is certainly true. We should praise God in difficult times. But my point here is something different. And I think it's an important one. My point is that we should be praising God in all times, not just in the difficult times. I think what we should be doing is strengthening our faith by using that faith muscle at all times so that when the difficult times come, then we'll know what to do. I'm sure you've heard that many times, that faith is like a muscle. The more we use it, the stronger it gets. And I think that that's true here. And I think what we see from Hannah is that over her lifetime, she exercised faith so that in this difficult time, she knew what to do. So what I want to show you here is that Hannah didn't just have faith at this one crucial moment in her life. She lived her life by faith. So I want to read her prayer now in 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to 10, and then verse 11 as well. 
And we're not going to look at Mary's prayer, but you might notice a bunch of similarities between Hannah's prayer here and Mary's prayer in Luke 1 when she realized that she was pregnant with the Messiah. Okay. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry, hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Now one interesting note about this prayer is it's not just simply a prayer of thanks for Hannah having a baby. It includes that, but on a much bigger level, this is a prayer of thanksgiving for who God is. It starts out with joy in verse 1 because of the deliverance that God brought about through the birth of Samuel, but it goes on from there to rejoice in who God is and what he does. In this prayer, we see a woman of faith who trusted God and gained a fuller picture of who God is. So Hannah, I think, came to know that this was not just a mere one-time act of kindness from God. She got the bigger picture now and realizes that this is who God is. And it's also interesting to note when Hannah prayed this. She prayed it after she gave Samuel up. So again, it wasn't just, thanks God for this baby. And I think what we see here is Hannah, through her faith, through her prayer and trusting God, got a fuller picture of who God is. And when we get that, it leads us to praise. So that's one of the things I love about this story. It's not just, thanks for the baby, God. This is, wow, God, look at who you are. And in this prayer, we see some of the most wonderful descriptions of who God is. But this is what happens when we pray by faith. Yes, maybe we'll have the blessing of getting our prayers answered, but I think an even bigger blessing is gaining this fuller picture of God. So instead of taking things into her own hands, or instead of just answering the taunts of her rival wife, Hannah went to God. She prayed both before Samuel was born and after she gave him up. You see, prayer looks to be a regular part of Hannah's life. And I would guess that that's part of where Hannah's strength came from, and that she was a woman of prayer. Because again, faith is like a muscle. The more we use it, the stronger it gets. The more we use it, the more we know how to use it the next time. Uh, Let me give an illustration here. You know how when you put something together the first time, it always takes you longer? And it's like, oh, why didn't I know how to do that? We got this changing table as a gift before Josiah was born. 
And it was my job as the man of the house to put this changing table together. And it came unassembled without any directions, but it was easy enough to figure out the general direction of, of where they went. So I put the first piece on and I attached the second piece to it. And, and as I went to attach the third piece to it, I realized that I attached the second piece the wrong way to the first piece. So I had to undo what I had done and flip the piece around and then put the second piece back on. Then I put the third piece on and I put the fourth piece on only to realize that I put the second piece on in the wrong direction. So I had to undo what I had done, flip the second piece around, put the third piece back on, the fourth, and it just went on and on and on like that. It's like, how can I do everything just completely wrong? Like, isn't, when it, by chance, couldn't I just do part of this right? <laughs> but uh, the first time I did that, it probably took me about four times as long as it should have. But the second time I did it, I, I knew what to look for a little bit more. And it didn't take me quite as long. And I think that that's the way that it goes with our faith and with difficult times. That, that we might stumble through them, but eventually I think that God strengthens our faith and teaches us how to go through them the next time. So that's the question I have for you then. Do you want to keep stumbling through these difficult times in life? Or do you want to work on strengthening your faith right now so that when the difficult times come, you know what to do next time. So what I would like to suggest to you is that the pattern that we see from Hannah is of a lifetime of faith. Now where do I get that from? Well, five times in this passage we get an indication that this family, Elkanah included in this, were a family who continually worshipped God. I want to show these to you. In, in chapter 1-3 we see that this family regularly went to worship God. In 1.10, we see Hannah going to God in prayer. In 1.19, we see this family again worshiping together. In 1.21, we see the pattern continuing that this family worshiped together. And then in 2.1, we see Hannah praying. So I think that this is not just a description of, of a woman who kind of did one thing right in her life. I think what we see is a description of a family who is committed to walking with God. And it looks like their son Samuel picked up on it. Because in 128 it says that he worshipped the Lord, and in 211 it says that he ministered before the Lord. Where did he learn that? Well, as we'll see next week, it, it doesn't really look like he learned it from Eli. I'm guessing that Samuel learned it from his parents. And I'll show you why I think that in the coming weeks. This family, as a pattern of their lives, worshipped God. So when difficult times came, they knew what to do. Theologian Bill Arnold says, Worship often prepares us for life. I love that one. Let me, let me read that one again. Worship often prepares us for life. That's one of the main reasons we come together here as a church to worship. There's lots of other reasons too, don't get me wrong. But one of the reasons that we come together to worship is to get strengthened for life. As we sing together, as we pray together, as we open God's word together, it's not just worshiping God, it is that, but it's also strengthening us to be able to deal with whatever life throws our way. So that's one of the reasons I want to encourage you to continue to be regular church attenders so that you can be strengthened in your faith. Okay, so that's the pattern that we see. We see not just a one-time act of faith, but we see a pattern of faith. And that's why Hannah could pray this wonderful prayer in verse 2. It wasn't like she was just kind of off the cuff saying things about God, you know, just kind of guessing who he is. She had come to know wonderful things about him. And, and look at all the wonderful things in this prayer. We see some awesome language about the sovereignty of God. In our Sunday school class a few weeks ago, we were trying to say, where in the Bible does it say that God is sovereign? And we were 
we kind of said, well, there's so many places, but we, we had a hard time coming up with individual passages. And I would say, here's one of them. The sovereignty of God. He's in control of everything. We also see the awesome theological truth in here that God is the only true God. One of the greatest verses about monotheism in the Bible here is chapter 2, verse 2. It, this prayer even stands as one of the very first predictions of the coming Messiah. And it shines as an example of praise. How did Hannah do that? It, it looks like Hannah was fluent in the language of praise. Where did that fluency come from? It came from a lifetime of seeking God. So that when the difficult times, Hannah knew what to do. You see, difficult times are part of our lives, and they're going to continue to be a part of our lives. But we can be strengthened daily in our faith right now if we commit to worshiping God and living rightly with Him. And that leads me to my big idea, which is also my conclusion here today. <coughs> the Lord has the power to bless those who seek Him by faith. The Lord has the power to bless those who seek Him by faith. Hannah here shines as an example. She was going through a difficult time, yet she expressed faith. Think about that. Think about your difficult time that you're going through right now. Are you meeting it by faith? Or are you just kind of going in your own strength? Now, I'm not saying that Hannah was perfect. I'm guessing there were plenty of times in her life where she stumbled. But the picture we get of Hannah is a picture of a woman who took her troubles to God and worshipped Him. And look what God did. Through Hannah, a rural, barren woman, God changed the course of history. And by the way, women, you can be encouraged by this. Some people think that the Bible oppresses women. I think far from it. If you understand the Bible and its context especially, you see the Bible elevating women to a place of <coughs> honor. If you know much about history, it's not often that a rural barren woman changes history. But God did through this woman because of her faith. Hannah showed great faith here. And I'm not saying then that we should build a, a statue of Hannah and say, wow, great job, Hannah. A round of applause for you. I'm suggesting that we should learn from her faith because the same faith that she showed here is the faith that each one of us can show. God hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can put our faith in Him. We can walk with Him and be strengthened daily so that when the difficult times come, that we can respond in faith as well. Because God is in control. Whatever you're going through, He's in control, He loves you, and He has good plans. And He still blesses those who seek Him by faith. Would you pray with me? Father, thanks for this story, this word picture that we get of faith. But thank you even more for how faithful you are, that you're in control. And even if we're going through a difficulty right now, God, we can know that you love us, that you care, and that you're in control. And I pray that we would be strengthened to remember that. And God, I pray that we would be people who are strengthened daily as we seek you by faith, as we worship you and praise you, regardless of our circumstances. Lord, would you strengthen us in our faith and when we worship and glorify you all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.